If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. Hold your place there. We'll, be, we'll come to that scripture in a minute. Exodus chapter 13. And even as we welcome Calvary Family Assembly of God, we welcome those that are watching by live stream as well. Exodus chapter 13. Now, I'm going to say a couple of things this morning that um, it may be uncomfortable, but it's all right. I know you can handle it. The, the, this week, we're beginning chapter 3 in the book, Radical, and it's, the title is Radical Dependency. Radical Dependency. It's funny that when we, when we read the scriptures and we talk about the, 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 the Christians in the, in, the, in the first century church, what they called normal living... We are now calling radical. Let me say that again. What the Christians were living in the first century, what they called normal, it was normal as a Christian. We are titling it radical. That's how far we've come away from what God has started us off. The Christians in the early Christian church, they went through persecution, they went through hardship, they didn't get everything that they wanted in life. Lift your head up, look at me one minute. In this life, you will not get everything you want. If you do, you'll become a spoiled brat. Can we handle this this morning? Good, even if you can't. You will become a spoiled brat if you think that everything you need, you must have. You will never continue as a Christian if you think that every little hiccup in your life is, is a major trauma. It is not a major trauma. It's just a discomfort. And some of the things we go through are not tribulations. And the quicker we grow up, and realize this, and the quicker we start to look back in the Word of God and start to understand that the people in the first century went through far worse and still had a good attitude and still were able to worship God and still were able to praise Him. Even when their families were destroyed and their backs were beaten and, the, and their friends' heads were chopped off and they were crucified on crosses, they still sang when they were in prison. When you and I start to understand that, then some of the things we go through is just a minor inconvenience. And God still expects us to behave properly. As a Christian. And so what I'm going to talk about this morning, it, it, it is challenging and, and, and it's kind of rocked my world a little bit because I'm starting to realize that we are being pampered way too much. And listen to me carefully. If you let ministers pamper you, the harder it gets, the more wimpy you will get. Instead of standing up and saying, fine, I'm in a fight. And I'm going to fight this thing. It is normal. Repeat after me. It is normal for a Christian to live by faith. It is abnormal to live or to not live by faith. 
For far too long in America, we have lived this Christian life without faith. Without faith. And as long as everything was going smoothly, we could sing the songs. We declare your glory. We magnify your name. God is good. Oh, how magnified. We can sing all the songs because things were calm and good. But just because things are getting a little rocky now, some Christians are ready to bail out. And as far as I'm concerned, go. Go. But we have to come to a place where you and I need to know that God is God and he's not going to change his word for anybody. And so we're either going to line up with the word of God or we're going to run away. But there are tough times and these are just the beginnings of tough times. And if you will run now, what will you do when the other, start, other things start happening? I say to the seniors every Wednesday morning, I don't care if you have Medicaid, Medicare, Medicum, or what, what, med, what they call those things. I say to the seniors all the time, what happens if your Medicare runs out? What happens if something happens? Are you still going to love God? What happens if your 401 uh, uh, runs out or, or something happens and there's a crash and you have, it's out of your control? What are you going to do? What happens if you get afflicted in your body with sickness? What are you going to do? What happens if your child doesn't turn out the way you want him to be or she wa or you want her to be? What are you going to do? And these are the real issues that I say every single time that I preach, that if we can't apply the word to those everyday issues of life, we will crumble, we will walk away, and it will break the heart of God. Because why? God expects us that through every situation, Every situation, we glorify him. So the question I want to ask this morning is this. How do we become radically dependent on God in America? That's a massive statement. Because if we ask this question in the third world nations, if they understand. In a third world nation, when they say, how can we? they already know to depend on God because they have nothing. When you have nothing, then, you, God, then God becomes your everything. But in America, when you have everything and you don't need God, how do you and I become radically in love with him? Because this is the problem. We went down to the National, uh, the National AG Convention, and, a, and a, a pastor got up from Texas, and he says, uh, when, the, when the Dallas Cowboys are playing, half of his congregation leaves if he's more than an hour. And I thought to myself, what foolishness. How do you ever expect that you will be able to tap into the things of God if you can't give God time? And football is more important than God. That's why when we get into these difficult places, there's not enough word on the inside of us 
to help us stand because we don't want to waste time in church and we need to go do something else. Listen to me carefully. I believe the time is coming and it's now that God is going to start to touch every single person in this congregation. Listen to me carefully. Every single person that is in this congregation that calls Bethlehem Assembly of God their home, God will begin to touch your life and allow certain things to come into your life to test you. And if you don't win that battle, you will end up leaving Bethlehem. I'm warning you now, as one of the shepherds said, I'm warning you that I can see it, I can sense it, I can see it coming. There are things going to come, start to rise up in your home, at your workplace, in relationships that will be devastating, that will challenge your faith. And everything that you know from the inside will be challenged. Because our loving God will not leave the body of Christ the way it is. So you either get ready or you pay the consequences. But the choice is yours. So how do we become radically dependent on, on God in America in the 21st century when seemingly we have all the options and all the variety of things and all the things that, that, that we have, it is so difficult to live by faith because a lot of times we're looking for solutions through a human being. How do we become radically dependent on God in America? Here's the answer. By living lives in such a way that we radically depend on and desperately and, and are desperate for the power that only God can bring. We have to get back to that place where we get into situations in our lives so that we have to be able to say, you know what? If God doesn't come through for me here, I'm in trouble. There's two stories in, in chapter 3 when you start to read this week uh, 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 of incidences where I think the guy's name is Raiden. I'm, I'm probably pronouncing it right. But Raiden is in the Asian church in, in Asia. And he goes into this village and, and a witch doctor is in, lives in the village. And, and Raiden is witnessing to the people and telling them to come to the Lord and, and showing them what it means to be a Christian. And this witch, jo a witch doctor comes in and, and, and he stands up and he wants to put a curse on Raiden. Now, that story doesn't mean anything to us in America. Because for one, most people don't even believe in witch doctors. And most people, if we saw a witch doctor, we would run. But Raven stood up and, 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 he, and he held his ground and he says, this is an opportunity to preach Christ. And he speaks to the witch doctor and the witch doctor, when he, he was about to open his mouth, started to choke. And the witch doctor fell down dead. Raven got up and started to preach the power of God. I, I guarantee you, every single member in that village got saved. Because why? If the witch doctor is dead, then there must, there must be a God bigger than the witch doctor. George Muller, who was a preacher in, 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 in Bristol, England, he's in, that, he's in chapter 3 as well. 
George Muller raised, uh, he, he looked after uh, orphans in England. He, uh, throughout his life, he, he looked after about 10,000 orphans throughout his life. But when we were reading the book, there's a caption in the book where, he, where, where, the, where the author takes the uh, a caption of George Muller's biography, and it tells us why George Muller raised up an orphan, an orphanage. Uh, you'll see on the slide here. This is what George, George Muller said. In his, in his biography, when, he, when, when, it, when it, we were talking about why did he start an orphanage in England, he said, the first and primary objective of the work was and still is that God might be magnified by the fact that orphans under my care are provided with all the need only by prayer and faith. The reason why George Mueller started the orphan, because he wanted to prove that by prayer and faith, he could be able to feed the thousands of kids that came through the orphanage. And if you read his story, that's exactly what he did. I remember one situation in, in, in his life, he was sitting at the table, they had these long uh, uh, dining room, uh, in the dining room area, these long tables that the kids would come march in, stand behind their chair, and say the grace, then sit down, and they would all eat together. There was one situation in, George, uh, in his in biography that George Mueller had no food in the orphanage. There was no food. It was dinner time. There was no food. What did George Mueller did? George Mueller made the kids do exactly what they did every dinner time. They marched in. The plates were on, empty on the, on the table. And he, they marched in and they stood behind their chairs. And Mueller said, bow your heads, let's give thanks. And you can imagine some of the kids looking and saying, thanks for what? But Mueller said, let's give thanks. He wanted to find out if this God that he was serving is faithful and true. Listen to me, guys. Listen to me carefully. The moment you go through a crisis... And God takes you from the beginning through the crisis and brings you to the end. The moment you go through something and you see the hand of God with you, you will never be the same again. But the reason why most Christians are not the same again, because they don't like going through things. They want to go around crisis. And the Bible did not promise us that if we go around the situation, he will be there. He says, as you go through the fire. So Mulan is standing there at, 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 the, at the head of the table, and he says, bow your heads, let's give thanks. And he says, Father, I thank you for the food that you have given us today. You see, and for us, we would look at that and say, now nah, nah, he's crazy. He's, he's in denial. No, he's walking by faith. He's calling those things that are not as though they are. You see, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with us. Why? Because every, when we go home tonight, we'll, uh, this afternoon, we'll have chicken. In fact, some of you put the chicken in before you got here. And some of you are hoping, Pastor, hurry up, finish, let me go put my chicken out. <laughs> and I'm going to say, I'm going to take as long as I like, and it can burn if all I care. <laughs> do, do you understand me? 
but he's standing, he's standing behind the thing, and he's saying, and he said, Father, thank you for the meal that you have given us. Thank you that you will bless it. Thank you it will be nourishment to my, our bones. Thank you that it is delicious, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Then he told the kids, sit down. Your meal is going to be here in a minute. Ten minutes later, there was a knock on the door. They go to the door, and, and it's the baker down the street. The baker says, I baked too much bread. It was way too much. I was wondering, could you use it? They brought the bread in, and they started dividing it among the kids. All, everyone is sitting at the table eating bread. See, I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking. Bread? Bread? After all this time, you're going to bring us dry bread? But guess what they did? They rejoiced and thanked God for dry bread. Man, you don't know how dry bread tastes sweet until you've been hungry for a week. We went through the Civil War. Every time we got something, we rejoice. Why? We, 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 you never know how hungry. You never know how bread. You can start magnifying bread all kinds of ways. When you haven't had it for a week. So George Mueller raised this orphanage to what? To prove the power of God. So this is, here's the question I need to ask. How, how, how in the world are we ever going to get to a place of radical desperation or radical dependencies on God when everything we seemingly have is being supplied? Here's the answer. If you haven't watched what, what's been happening, I'll give you a heads up. God is allowing things to come into our lives that money cannot change. That is what he's going to do to America, to American Christians. Things are going to start coming into our lives, if they're not already, they're going to start coming into our lives that money cannot solve. That will require you and I to get desperate before God in prayer and worship and knowing of the Word of God. And so what's happening? Families are getting crushed. Husbands are playing the fool. Wives are playing the fool. Kids are getting crazy. Sickness is coming upon people. Disaster is happening in different areas of our life. And, 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 and if, if money could solve it, we would be able to do it. We would be able to take out a dollar and solve it. But the situations that are going to start to arise in our lives will be situations that, have not, that money cannot change. You are either going to go after God or you are going to run away. And so my job this morning, as I come this morning, as we talk about radical dependency, is to prepare us and say, okay, okay, pastor, if that's going to happen, how do I prepare myself to be able to be radical dependent and not flip out and fall apart when these things come into my life? If we desire to live lives that are radically dependent on God, we will have to, number one, allow God control of our lives. If we're going to get to a place where we can become radically dependent on God, we have to get to a place that we say, God, I am no longer in control. I no longer want to be in control. I now will my control to you. Listen to me carefully. You must willingly, 
God will not force it from you. You and I must willingly hand over control of our lives to our God. Go with me quickly to Exodus chapter 13. Let's quickly give you some examples of, 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 of what I mean by giving control of your life. Because again, as Americans, we don't like giving control of anything over to anybody. Why? Because we feel helpless. And we want to be in control. Exodus chapter 13. The children of Israel are in the wilderness. And God has been, God is leading them through the wilderness. And it says in verse 21, Exodus 13, 21. Are we there? Go on, keep going, I'm waiting. Exodus 13, 21. Let's read. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, uh, in a a pillar of cloud to lead the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. God, in, when he was taking the children of Israel from Egypt to the promised land, by, night he had a, uh, by day he had a pillar of cloud, a cloud by day and a fire by night. Why? So that every time the cloud moved, the children of Israel moved. Every time the cloud stopped, the children of Israel stopped. Every time God wanted to move in the nighttime, the fire would get up, uh, rise up and start to move. The children of Israel would pick up their stuff and they'll start to follow the fire. When the fire stopped, the children of Israel stopped. They moved and stopped by the commands of God. Do you and I move and stop by the unctions of the Holy Spirit? Or do we blow through the Holy Spirit and say, no, I'm going to charge here. I'm in charge. The children of Israel did not move and did not stop unless the Spirit of God through the fire and the cloud were either moved or stopped. That's what we mean turning our lives. How do we turn our lives over? Father, we say, Father, anything you want me to do, I will do it. Anywhere you want me to go, I will go. Anywhere you want my kids to go, I will release them to go. Shake your head, yes. You better say yes. Let's look at another example. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I love this one here. The children of Israel had disobeyed God and and God had turned them away from the promised land and he said they were going to wander in the wilderness for the next 40 years. For the next 40 years. Because that generation disobeyed God and he wanted to wipe out that whole generation and and wait for the next generation to come through. Exodus chapter 8. I'm sorry, did I say Exodus? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to start from verse 2. Now, I want you to follow in your Bible, and I want to read out of the Amplified. Every now and again, the Amplified really 
pushes it out so we can see the, the, the depth in which God does things. Uh, Exodus, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting from verse 2. And you shall earnestly remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Lift your head on one minute. Did you catch that? The 40 years that the children of Israel in the wilderness, all the difficult times and the hardship and all the things, the Bible says it was God who led them through all that hardship. Is it normal for a Christian to go through hardship? Yes. When I go through hardship, does that mean I can misbehave as a Christian? No. Does that mean I, I need to whine and complain and, and, and murmur? No. But the Bible says it was God who led them those 40 years. So even though they disobeyed God at going into the promised land the first time, God still was with them going through the difficult times for 40 years. Listen to me carefully. Lift your head up one minute. Whatever you're going through right now in your life, you are exactly where you need to be. Whatever hardship, whatever pain, whatever things you're going through in your life right now, it has not surprised God one iota. He knows exactly where you are, and he expects you to go through it. You're not living in sin. You may have caused it, but God will use it. And some of you haven't caused it. But you're in some tough times, and, and I'm here to tell you this morning that you are exactly where you need to be. Because what you're going through right now will strengthen your faith and put your trust in God if you allow him to take you through it. Let's continue reading. Verse 2. And you shall earnestly remember all the ways which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to prove you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Lift your head on one minute. The reason why God allows us to go through some trials is this. He, he comes, he allows the trials to go through us, or we go through the trials to one, to humble you. A lot of us are proud. God has been telling us what to do, but we stubbornly refuse to do it. And we bring up these excuses, well, I, I'm Italian, I'm Jamaican, I'm Portuguese, I'm black, I'm white, I'm Chinese. And God has said to you, there are some things I want you to remove out of your life. There are some behavior patterns I want you to crucify. There are some things that you need to be, and you, we stubbornly refuse. So sometimes a trial comes into our life to humble us. And then it comes to test us. And to prove what is in our hearts. You see, the great thing about these, these days that are gonna be, we're going to be living in is this. Everyone says we're Christians. Great. We're going to have the opportunity to prove whether we're real Christians or not. And the test is not for God to, show, for, for God to see who we are. No. God is allowing these things to come into our lives so that we can stop fooling ourselves and know where we are in our Christian walk. Verse 3. And he humbled you. Who humbled you? Come on, who humbled you? Lift your head up one minute. 
Who will humble you? Listen to me carefully. When, when things start happening and they get crazy, don't think it's the devil. Don't try to bind it and bomb it and all the other thing of it. Understand that this could be God allowing things to happen so that he can humble you, so that he can bring us to a place where we're mature. Verse 3. And he humbled you and allowed you to hunger. He allowed you to hunger. Who allowed the children of Israel to hunger? Come on, don't be afraid. Say it. Who allowed the children of Israel to hunger? God did. Pastor, are you telling me that sometimes God will make me hungry? Yes. You say, Pastor, are you trying to say that sometimes I won't get my own way and, and, and do the things I want to do? Yes. Pastor, are you trying to say that if I don't feel it and, 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 and I'm not happy and I'm not content, I have to stay there and grind it out? Yes. What's this all this thing about this happiness thing? God never said he'll make you happy. God said he'll give you joy. There's a difference between joy and happiness. Joy is from the inside. The Bible says the joy of the, the joy of the, the joy of the, it has nothing to do with the things out here. He said the joy of the Lord will be your strength. But we keep defining joy as happiness. So I get a new car, I'm happy. Someone, someone keys it, I'm sad. I get a new husband, no, no, I get a new job. <laughs> some of you are saying, yes, pastor, new husband, yes. But you get a new toy and you're happy. Someone busts the toy up and you're sad. That has nothing to do with your walk with Christ. Nothing. Verse 3. And he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you recognize and personally know. When the trials come, guys, when the trials come and we want to be radically dependent on God, the trials come so that you and I will know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word. Every word. What does that mean? You need to know your Bible. You need to know your Bible. The solution of everything you and I will be going through will be found in the Word. If you don't know the Word, you won't find the answer. Let's continue. So if we desire to live lives that are radically dependent on God, we have to, one, allow God control of our lives. Number two, give God time to speak. Give God time. Listen to me carefully. Just because we're Americans doesn't mean God is going to speed things up for us. But if we're going to get radically dependent on God, then we're going to have to give God time so he can speak to us. And the great thing about this, guys, is this. If we won't do this, this ain't going to change God. He will wait until we get to the place where we can slow down and stop and listen. 
Otherwise, we're just going to get frustrated day in and day out and thinking that if we find new toys, new wife, new husband, new kids, or new life, we would be happy. You won't. You'll carry the same junk into the next relationship. You'll carry the same frustration into the next job. You'll carry the same frustration into the next anything. And if you're not careful, you will get to a place like some of the people in the world that have no hope and they end up blowing their brains out. Because they're trying to find contentment. And every contentment they're trying to find is in things. And things, trying to find things as contentment is like having a bottomless pit. And that's the thing about the enemy. The enemy never satisfies So you have one girlfriend, then you have another girlfriend, then you have another girlfriend, then you have another girlfriend, because why? I'm looking for love, and all you're doing is lusting. So wife or husband says, I don't love you anymore. Uh, Why? Because all the spunk is gone. All the thrust is gone. Why? He's not talking about love. He's talking about lust. We want the high. And listen to me carefully. A lot of our Christian walk is about stable, stability, steady as you go. But you, we're going to have to find time to be able to listen to God. Uh, you're in Exodus. Go to chapter 24. Exodus 24. The whole story of the children of Israel going from, uh, uh, um, from Egypt to Canaan is a great illustration of how God will take us on his journey of life. Exodus chapter 24. We're going to start off from verse 12. Exodus 24. Verse 12, then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. If you had one minute. God said to Abraham, uh, Moses, come up to this mountain and just come and hang out. Just hang out. What do you mean just hang out, God? Just come and be there. Sometimes just being in the right place at the right time, you can hear from God. Sometimes I say to people all the time, coming to church is the right place to be. Even when you don't feel it, even when you think you're walking in sin and you've been backsliding, the best thing to do is to come, creep in the church, go in the balcony, and just sit in the presence of God. There's something about the corporate anointing of God that you can be in this atmosphere, and the Spirit of God will start to do something on the inside of you. That's why the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of the saints. He told Moses, come up here, and come up to me, and just be there. Just be there. That means you have to give God time. You say, Pastor, I don't have time. Listen to me carefully. Don't say that. That is childish and immature because I'll tell you why. When something comes up and you really want to do something, you will make time for it. Shake your head yes because we all do it. When there's something comes up and we really want to do it, 
I remember going, going home one night uh, on a Wednesday night, and I got all the way home, and I thought, I really want some ice cream. Guess what I did? I turned around, came all the way back. back. Oh, am I confessing the wrong thing? I came back to the Burger King, and I got an ice cream. I got my physical coming up. That's why I'm just... <laughs> I came back and got an ice cream from Burger King. When we really want to do something, we make time for it. When you and I are really desperate for God, we will make time for God. And the great thing about it is this. Until we get desperate, we won't make time. We won't make time. Moses goes up, God calls Moses up and says, come and be with me. Quickly, Exodus chapter 33. You're in 24, go to 33. Exodus 33 verse 11. Verse 11, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. You know why God used Joshua after Moses? It's because Joshua would spend time with Moses, and then he, when Moses left, he would stay there and spend time with God. If we're going to get to a place where we get radically dependent on God, we're going to have to allow God control of our lives, and two, we're going to have to give God time to speak. The last thing we need to do, if we're going to let God take radical control, and if we're going to get desperate for God, number three, we're going to have to depend on the Spirit and the Word. We're going to have to depend on the Spirit and the Word. The last scripture I want us to turn to is the Gospel of John. Gospel of John. Let's do two, let's do two scriptures. Go to John chapter 6. And the scriptures are from 60 to 69. You can write that down, but we're not going to read the whole thing. John chapter 6, verse 60. Jesus is talking, and every night, if you notice about Jesus, every time Jesus would see a large crowd, and he knew everybody there in the crowd didn't come for the right reasons, he would say things. He would say things. He would say things like, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And as soon as he said that, half of the crowd would leave. And then he would be doing something, yeah, and crowds would come again. And then he'll, he'll get up and say something. And, and, and he'll say something like this. If you don't hate your mother and father and despise them, you can't follow me. And then half of the crowd would leave again. 
Because why? He knew that everybody who came were not coming for the right reasons. Finally, one day he said something like that and, and, and the crowd left and this time everybody left. Everybody left. And the only people that were left were the disciples. And you don't see Jesus going, oh, I please, everybody's left. I feel so insecure. I beg you, can you stay with me? No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He doesn't beg anybody. He, he turns around to the disciples. John chapter 6. Let's pick it up in verse 66. We're running out of time. So let's, let's fast forward to verse 66. I'm reading out of, out of the Amplified. Just follow. He said, after this, many of his disciples drew back, returned to their old associations, and no longer accompanied him. Even a lot of the disciples left. Jesus said to the twelve, will you also go away? Or do you too desire to leave me? Verse 68, Simon answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words, the message of eternal life. Lift your head on a minute. Jesus says to the disciples, hey, everybody's leaving me now. Do you want to leave also? He had no problem of people walking out. No problem. Because he knew the ones that remained were going to be fully committed to him. When judgment begins in the church, it will be to weed out those that do not need God and don't need to be dependent on God and those that will remain will be a group of people that will be dependent on God for everything. So how are we going to do this? Last scripture. John chapter 15. How are we going to be fully dependent on God? How are we going to get to a place where we can say, Pastor, uh, uh, we can say, Lord, get me to a place in my life where I can be solely dependent on you. Listen to me carefully. As you turn to 15, John chapter 15, let me say, listen to me carefully. When you pray that prayer and say, God, use me as you wish, and God brings us to the place where we are fully dependent on him, you and I then need to be prepared that means we will have to walk by faith. A life that is solely dependent on God is a life that is walking by faith. That says, God, I may not have everything that I want. I may not have everything that I need. As long as I have you. As long as I know I'm in the, your will, your plan, I'll be all right. But listen to me carefully, guys. Don't bluff God. You and I can't bluff God. And if he says it, he will try to test it out in our lives. And the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, Lord, uh, just show me the way to eternal life. And Jesus said, uh, told him all the things he did. And he proudly got up and said, from my youth, I've done all of that. Some of you may say, I've been in the church 40 years. I know this Christian thing. I have it packed down. I know what it means. But then he turns around to the guy and said, I know what your problem is. You don't depend on me. 
you depend on your wealth. So go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. Guess what? He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. John chapter 15. Verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The secret, father, the secret, guys, of living a life that is dependent on God is that your word, the word of God, abides in you. And the spirit of God abides in you. And every morning you get up, you ask the question when you have a decision to make, Lord, what does the Bible say? In every decision you make, what does the Bible say? That's when the word is in you and you are in the world. So total dependence, a radical dependence, it's you getting hooked up to the Word of God and the Spirit of God that says, Lord, wherever you lead, I'll follow. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Whatever you want me to lay down, I'll lay down. Whatever you want me to sacrifice, I'll sacrifice. Whatever you want me to go without, I will go without it. If that means knowing that you are in my life for the rest of my life. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. So your order call this morning is not to come up here. Not calling you up this morning. I want you to sit for a few minutes. Just take your Bible, put it on your lap. And I want you to think about what's been said this morning. And in the quietness of your own heart, I want you to be able to say this. Are you ready for this kind of living? Are you ready to commit to this kind of God? Are you ready to surrender everything that needs to be surrendered? So that you can live dependent on Him. Father, I thank you. Thank you this morning. A lot of things have been said, a lot of things have challenged our minds. And I pray, Lord, that the love of God on the inside of us will mean more to us than anything else in this life. I thank you, Lord, that the places that we need to surrender will surrender. And the places that we need to turn over to you will turn over to you. And where we need to go without having all our needs met, I thank you that we'll pay that price. Because what is eternal? is much more important than what is temporal. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. And everyone said, Amen.